Hey, good morning, Summit Church. Hope you guys are doing well. This is your five-minute warning, so we're going to get started with some pre-produced praise and worship and an illustrated message called Knocking on the Narrow Door. Would you share this with a friend? Let them know the church is about to get started here on the Facebook page. It's on my Facebook wall, Wayne C. Hansen. It's on the Summit Church of Castle Rock Facebook page. It's on my YouTube channel, Pastor Wayne H., uh, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram. Just share this and let them know church is about to get started. It's going to be a great, great time today. We're doing some really fun stuff with our snow day worship, word and worship here today. So I hope you're doing well and we will see you all very soon. So this is your five minute warning. Five minutes, everybody. service starts, so here are some church-appropriate dance moves you can do whenever the Spirit moves you. So get on up and let's sweat to some scriptures. Or maybe not. Or just, just Here we go. One, two, three, four. Make sure it's on the face. See it on the face. Yeah. Bring it together. Here we go. Let it go. You take the stone, you let it go. You're unhindered by armor. Let that elbow sway. Elbow, 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 elbow. Okay. One of my personal favorites. Resurrection. You gotta get down to get back. Yeah. Keep working, guys. Keep working. You're doing great. I'm doing great. I'm getting a little tired. Walk like this for the rest of your life. 
But that's okay, because you got his pussy. Two minutes, I just... Oh. Go for the bucket. No! I'm not gonna be okay. okay. Sharp the knife. Ride the horse up the mountain with the knife. Put your boy in the back. Hoist it up! No! Hoist it up! Abraham, no! Hoist it up! Abraham, no! One out of thirty guys! We can do this! is important. All right, one minute, guys. We're doing great. Give it me. But then watch this. This is not me. Coming at the end with swords. Swords. Come down here, baby. Flame them there. Flame them there. Flame them there. Yeah, there. You do it. This one's important, too. We're so in the sea. Here we go. Sooner. Make sure you hit that. Fertile ground. Stay away from the grass. Shut up. Watch your back. No, God's got it for you. Watch your back. No, God's got it for you. I don't know how much more I can do this. You're gonna have to take it for me. On the last push, literally. Santa! Fourteen left! Okay guys, we're gonna have to start. Let's just start the Happy snow day, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. Message us online. Let us know you're watching from and share this with a friend because church is about to get started. The other night we had our worship rehearsal on Thursday night. We were smart and we pre-recorded some worship. So without any further ado, let's enter in. Join us as we do. morning summit church happy snow day if you're watching this worship video it's because there's three feet of snow on the ground and no one could make it to the building so i'm here with the guys we're doing a worship acoustic sit down a little unplugged worship here in the church building on a thursday night which is normally our practice night but we thought we'd record worship and we're going to treat it like it's a sunday morning so glad you're along for the ride today and make sure and share this let me just say this share this with a friend on the various platforms where you're watching this, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or Periscope, Twitter or Twitch, LinkedIn or my Instagram, Pastor Wayne H. Everywhere, share, share, share. Tell a friend the church is getting started and we are going to start singing. It's going to be awesome. So join us, will you? Get them out off the couch. Put your hands together. Don't just be a spectator, but sing with us as we sing. All right.
Asia boys. He has truly given everything. From this moment, I will sing. Oh, I will sing. 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 slash Sunday morning online. Glad you're joining us today. Let me open with prayer and we'll get into it. Father, thank you that whether we're stuck at home under a snowstorm or whether we're watching in the car later or whatever we're doing, Father, I pray you'd be glorified in every song we sing, every scripture we study, everything we do during this worship service today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that you're on the move. You're doing stuff, Lord. And um, I pray you'd bless every one that's watching and is listening later in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love this song called This Is a Move and um, so let's sing that one together. Mountains are still being moved. Body is still being raised. 
giants. Giants are still being slain. God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts on you. Come and do what you do. We need a move.
that's what we're begging for is for more and more of you, God. As the snow piles up in the window outside, Lord, as we get all this moisture, we think about the abundance of you, of creation, how you give and you give and you give even more and you pile on blessings. And Lord, I pray that we would take the time to remember how good you've been and how you're good you're going to be if we'll just keep holding on to you. Pray that, Lord, that the end of the pandemic will be coming shortly, I pray, that we would be able to travel internationally and share the gospel, go back on missions trips and do all the things that the church is supposed to be doing. And uh, Lord, bless this church. Lord, I pray that this room would be full on Easter. Lord, I pray you would just give us the courage to invite folks to come out on that Easter Sunday morning. We would see this place full, not only filled with people, but filled with the Spirit of God in your presence. That this, this little church would just rock this valley. That people would sense there's something going on down there at Summit Church. They'd want to check it out and be a part of what's, what's going on in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Let's sing this one called One Thing Remains. Your love never fails.
messaged him today. He says the little wound in his back is healing up pretty good. He says he's back to three quarters of his normal strength. So that's that's good. Hopefully we'll see you in church pretty soon, Mr. Tim. And uh, thanks for taking one for the team out here. <laughs> and uh, hope that rib is healing up so you can actually lay down a little bit when you're trying to sleep. And our prayers, our love, and our thoughts are with you. And the, everyone else who's watching online, if you've got sick loved ones or friends or you're going through any kind of difficulty, I want to remind you, God's promises are still yes and amen. Everything written in this word is true. So that's why we always read it. And this is uh, for the one-year Bible reading for March 14th. The highlighted verse comes from Psalm 57, verse 9 through 11. I always love the Psalms because I'm a musician. And uh, David was a musician, and most of these psalms were put to music. But here's what he says. He said, in fact, let me back it up to verse 7. He says, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. 
Wake up, O lyre and harp. A lyre was like a Hebrew guitar back in the day. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. So it reminds me of that old third day song. Um, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Remember that one? That was such a great song. But we have one more gospel song we want to do, and it's so simple. It just simply says, give me Jesus. And um, whatever you're going through, this song is a great comfort to me oftentimes when I'm going through a tough day. And I remember that Jesus is with me at night. He's with me throughout the day. He's with me when everything's going great. He's with me when things aren't going so great. When I get up, when I lay down, even when I come to die, Jesus is going to be with me all the way through. He's going to take me all the way to heaven. So let's sing this gift song, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus. 
thank you for joining us for worship online on this snow day. God bless you guys. We've got a great word for you today called knock, knocking, knocking on the narrow door. Would you take a moment right now and greet someone online, share this link with a friend. And if you want to support the ministry, you can do that by mail. You can mail a check to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or you can go online and give at mysummitchurch.com. Or you can text to give. Just open your texting app to this number, 303-625-9434, and punch in the amount of your gift and follow the prompts using your smartphone. And 100% of what you give by text goes directly to the ministry. So that's a great way to support it. Will you take a minute and share this link with a friend? Tell them the church has started. The message is about to begin. And I'm so grateful for the guys joining me today in worship. This is week week three, four, three, three, three. We're so we're getting better and better at this as we go. And I'm so glad that you're joining us online. And I know church just ain't the same when we're watching it on a screen, but you know what? Heck man, it's better than nothing, right? It's better than not gathering. And so um, this is the best alternative we can come up with. So God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day in this sermon. I hope you get a lot out of this study from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter uh, 11 through 15. And we'll see many of you in just a second. Well, hello, everybody. It's a snow day. We don't get too many of these snow days with church. We've had a few of these online services because of COVID, but this is the first snow day that we've had in a while with church. So I'm glad that you're joining me online today, and we're going to get into our study of Luke chapter 11 through 15, and I've titled the talk, Knock, Knock, Knocking on the Narrow Door, and I made a, I made a door from my, pastel, my pastels today. You know, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open the door, I would come in and eat with him and he would, we, we would have fellowship together. In the study that we're going to look at today, there's a reference to knocking in doors in two different places. Jesus talks about persistence in prayer. He says, Ask and you receive. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened unto you, because everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to the one who keeps knocking, the door is opened. And then later on in, in the latter part of our study today, he says, Enter by the narrow door. The narrow door. In other words, God's way is not the common way. God's way sometimes is sort of the hard way. It's not the way oftentimes that we would pick or that we would choose for ourselves, but it is the better it's the better way. And so it, it, it kind of harkens to this other teaching where he says, many are called, but the chosen are few. Will you, will you grow as a disciple so that you can be usable by God? Of course, I think if you call in the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But when you're called, then he also calls you into a, a narrow life of holiness and grace and truth and walking with integrity. And so, you know, Jesus had the crowds, but he also had the 12. And amongst the 12, he had the three. And amongst the three, he had the one. 
And so he, he did choose some favorites. And um, I think some part of our job as disciples is to say, Lord, how close to you can I get? So we're going to talk about knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And I immediately started thinking about knock, knock jokes. And, you know, you guys have heard of dad jokes. They're not really funny. They're just cheesy. And these are a little cheesy, but I think they're funny. So just put up with it, okay? Here's some knock, knock jokes. Knock, knock. Who's there? Cows go. Cows go who? No, silly. Cows go moo. Cows go moo who? <laughs> oh, Kim's going to make her own punchline. All right. Knock, knock joke number two. Knock, knock. Who's there? Yoda lady. Yoda lady who? Oh, hey, nice yodeling. Okay, I need a laugh track. I need to put my laugh track on the button so we get laughter. All right, number three, knock joke number three. Knock, knock, who's there? The interrupting cow. Interrupting cow, hoo hoo moo. All right, okay, that's it with the knock, knock jokes. But I was thinking about how do, you, how do I make this teaching stick? And I, think, I was thinking about that old Bob Dylan song. You guys remember, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. It was covered by Bob Marley and Eric Clapton and Neil Young and Jimi Hendrix. And so many people uh, sang the song. And I, I came up with a ukulele version of it. I'll give you the condensed version. Ready? Whoops. There's a very famous uh, painting in, I think it's in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, where an artist has depicted that very uh, passage of Jesus standing at the door of a man's heart. And someone came to the painter after they unveiled it, and they said, you've made a mistake. 
And he, he said, what? No, you've painted the beautiful picture of Christ and the beautiful door and the garden and the leaves and the greenery and everything, but you've made a mistake. And he said, what possible mistake could I have made? He said, you didn't put a knob on the door. There's no handle. And he said, no, no, this is not a mistake. The handle is on the inside. Hmm. Now, that could have been just a painter's uh, trick to not admit a mistake, or maybe it was intentional. The idea being that Jesus is not going to force his way in, but we have to open the door to let him in. Isn't that a powerful idea? That we have, to, we have to do our part. Jesus is knocking at the door, but we must let him in. So I guess the title today could be Knock Knock, Who's There? But it's, you know, it's not a joke. <laughs> knock, let's knock on the narrow door and come into the teachings of Christ. And so uh, here we are in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is teaching about prayer and he's teaching about how to be persistent in prayer. And he says, suppose this is verse uh, 5. He went on to teach them more about it, and he told them this story. He said, suppose one of you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and we have nothing to feed him or to eat. And suppose you call out from his bedroom, don't bother me. He calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for a friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Jesus is saying this is how we should pray. Shamelessly persist. He says, I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so I want to give you some pro tips to enter into the kingdom. Because doorways are entry points. Right? There was this band called The Doors. In fact, Kim and I watched the Jim Morrison story. And I, I do not recommend the film generally because Jim Morrison was a very vile, uh, crude man. And yet the whole idea of The Doors was a movement towards psychedelic drugs and opening the door of perception and breaking the boundaries of morality. And he dabbled in the occult and all kinds of dark things. And, and yes, you can open the door to the enemy, but in the same way you can open the door for the enemy, we should open the door for Christ and let the Holy Spirit come in. Rather than seeing how close to the edge we can get, let's see how close to Jesus we can get. Let's see how, how holy we can become. Let's see how much we can grow up in the, into the Lord. So here's a pro, these are the pro tips of entering into the kingdom. Pro tip number one, keep knocking persistently. Keep knocking persistently. Don't be one of those people who just try a couple times and you give up. In fact, the Christian life is not for quitters. You know, for people, well, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. No, well, first of all, Jesus is not something you try. Jesus is someone you surrender to and you let him have his way. You don't, you don't uh, impose your will onto him. We don't give him a try. Um, 
we don't try him. We let him try us. We let him come in and make us uh, like gold to, to try and, and to see what our lives are about, to try our motives and our thoughts and our actions. And when I let God try me, then I can become more like Jesus. So verses, uh, verses 8 through 13, God wants us to approach him with shameless persistence. The commands to ask, seek, and knock are all given in the present tense, emphasizing continuous, persistent action on our part. To practice this quality in our prayer life, must first have a pers- we must have first have a personal relationship with the giver of all good gifts. Through faith, we can have great expectation from our relationship with God. He is good gentler and kinder than any human father, and he wants us to be redeemed. God wants good things for you more than you want them for yourself. God is jealous for you. He wants good things on your behalf. He wants them for you even more than you you do. And that's hard to believe because we want a lot of things, right? But he also knows what's good for us and what's not good for us. And so, as a good father doesn't give his kids everything they ask for, that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. And then Jesus uh, begins to cast out demons, and, and, um, and the people say, well, the only way he can cast out demons is he's probably a, the prince of demons himself. And Jesus says, don't be, don't be foolish. He knew their thoughts. He said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splinters by feuding will fall apart. In other words, united we stand, divided we fall. And that's kind of where we're at as a nation right now. If, we're, if there's any hope for America, it has to be in redemption. Do we have sins in our past? Yes, we need to repent of those sins and we need to find redemption. We need to forgive one another. We need to love one another. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. When I can learn to, to have the grace to forgive someone and have the grace to repent and say, I was wrong. Boy, that's, that's a, a, a big step in the right direction for unity. And then, of course, Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And uh, so the evil spirit leaves the person. And um, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother and the womb for which you came and, and, uh, and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. This lady's trying to get a little attention, you know, a little shout, shout out to Jesus in the crowd. He says, look, look, lady, it's, it's cute that you want to, like, make a show of all this, that, you know, this is a spectacle. But you're even better, better than make a, a spectacle and shout out to the crowd. Listen. <laughs> Listen to what I'm teaching. Listen to what heaven's bringing. And then Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. And the people ask for a miraculous sign. And he says... No, there's not going to be a miraculous sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. The people of Nineveh, he said, will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Then he begins to talk about the kingdom is like a kingdom of light. You know, when you open that door to the perception of heaven, heaven begins to shine through the darkness of your life, the darkness of fear, of confusion, of depression, of depravity, of, of uh, anger, of bitterness, unforgiveness. The light of God begins to, to chase away that darkness. And he says, no one lights a lamp when, it, when it's, uh, this is verse 33 of, of Luke 11. 
No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. And if you are filled with light no and no dark comes... Not, no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. And then Jesus goes on to criticize the religious leaders of their day. In verse 46, he says, What sorrow awaits you experts in the religious law? For you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. See, that's the, that's the difference between a life-giving relationship with God through the person of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and, conversely, man's religion, which is all do's and don'ts and you better do it my way and you better do it just right. If you don't do it perfect, you're out. That's, that's not God. That's not the kingdom. That's not the spirit of redemption. That's not the spirit of a reconciling father. And Jesus came to show us how to come into the kingdom, to open the door and come into the kingdom. Pro tip number two as we come to chapter 12. So we're supposed to keep knocking persistently. Number two, serve God faithfully. Serve God faithfully. See, a lot of people are willing to pray these catch me prayers or like, oh God, help me prayers. But they don't really want to serve God. <laughs> They'd really rather just do their own thing and then hopefully God rescues them when they get into a little bit of trouble. Well, you probably wouldn't get in so, so much trouble if you serve God faithfully, right? You would find yourself closer to Jesus. You'd make wiser decisions, and hopefully you'd be in better places. And Jesus warns against hypocrisy in chapter 12. Speaking again to the crowds, and he tells about the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. Uh, verse 8, he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledge me, acknowledges me publicly here on earth the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And a lot of people worry about that, that, uh, that particular phrase. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when someone has hardened their heart so much to God that they refuse to repent. They make a mockery of God. They make a, a mockery of his spirit. They make a mockery of his laws and his commands. They make a mockery of the things of God. And they have no intention of turning around and repenting. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus begins to tell a parable. The parable of the, of the rich fool. And this is sort of a terrifying one. And for us Americans who are very materialistic, we can, we can put ourselves in the story pretty easily. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 12 he tells him a story. He says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. 
There are a lot of people who think life is all about the accumulation of wealth and possessions and fame and celebrity and all the things that melt away. What do we need to invest in? We need to invest in the eternal, the eternal matters of the kingdom. We need to open the door to God's kingdom and say, okay, Jesus, come in. I want your joy. I want your peace. I want your holiness. I want your life. The things that you see as important, God, help me to put on heaven's glasses and see the world the way that you see it. So Jesus Jesus begins to teach about money and possessions in verse 22 of Luke chapter 12. It says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Skipping to verse 27, look at the lilies and see how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Verse 29, he says, and don't be concerned about what you'll eat or in what to drink. And then This is the key of the whole teaching. Verse 31, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Another version of that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. If you spend your life trying to accumulate money and wealth and celebrity and fame, you're always going to come up short and it'll never be enough. But if you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, all these other good things will follow after you, but they're not going to take over your life. You won't be consumed with them. You'll be consumed with the love of God. You'll be consumed with the person of Jesus. You'll be consumed in how can I use these things that God has given me to be a blessing and maximize who I am as a person to bless as many people as I can. Do you see the difference? It's like, it's like flipping the polarity on electricity, but we get, the, we get the positive on the positive and the negative on the negative. I always kind of speak about that in a spiritual terms when I think I had a sort of a renewal of sorts a few years ago. My dad in, in Detroit used to have a blender. And these old blenders from the 50s and 60s, some of you will remember these blenders, they had two prongs, there was no grounding cord, and the prongs looked exactly the same. These days now, if you look at two prongs, one's a little fatter, one's a little thinner, and only goes in the plug one way. Well, in olden times, everybody, before the internet, you could plug in something upside down accidentally and burn out the motor. So we had a little blender that we accidentally plugged in upside down, and the motor ran backwards and burnt out the blender. I think spiritually that's what a lot of people are doing. They're motivated by the wrong things. They believe in God. They even believe in Jesus. They believe in the things of the Bible. But they got the polarity flipped. They think that they're God and they're telling God what to do. No, no, no. (laughs) God is God. We're his children. We got to get the power flipped in the right direction. We got to get the power from him. We We don't motivate ourselves to pep God into doing what we want him to do. It's a very, very different outlook. And then money and possessions is part of that. Oftentimes we get the polarity flipped and we're burning out the blender, right? If your life is like the blender. So money and possessions, it's important that you have the right mindset about that. And of course, if God has your pocketbook, he has your heart. If God has your time, he has your heart. If he has your talents and what you do with your life and your intellect and all the things that you're good at, he's got the rest of you. He can use you every day of your life. And it's not just like you get God one hour a day, a week on Sundays, but you belong to him every single day. 
Every moment by moment is given to Jesus. You belong to him lock, stock, and barrel. You have been bought with a price. And so you glorify God with your body, with everything you say and everything you do. And then Jesus talks about his coming. He says, be ready for my coming. He says, he's going to come quickly. He's going to come at a time when we don't expect. Here's what he says in verse 42 of Luke chapter 12. He says, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Skipping to verse 47. And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. When someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Boy, how true is that for us as the American church? You look at the houses we live in compared to other countries. You look at all the blessings we have, cars to drive. We've got trash removal service. <laughs> We've got running water and a sewer system. We have a lot of things that we just take for granted. We, we turn a little knob and water comes out of a faucet. We don't have to walk 20 miles to get clean water every day. Whoa, that's amazing. That, that does, I mean, if just being an American puts you in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. You say, well, I don't feel rich. Well, it doesn't matter if you feel rich or not. You are rich. You've been blessed with a lot. So do what you can with, with, with what God has given you and manage well the possessions that you have so that you can be a blessing to others. And then Jesus warns that his, this way of living, it's going to cause division. Some people are not going to like it. Some people are going to walk away and say, that's too hard. I'd rather live for myself. I don't want to obey this God. And here's what he says. Verse uh, 51, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Jesus says, I know these teachings are going to divide people because not everyone is going to want to live for God. Some people just want to live for themselves, and they always will, and they'll never follow my teachings. Well, don't turn from the teachings. You might have to separate yourself from some of the selfish people in your life that are trying to pull you down or pull you away from these kingdom principles. Jesus even had his own family, didn't believe in him when he was teaching. His brothers would make a mockery of his ministry. They came to even stop him at one point, came to the house, and the house was full. And they, they sent him in and said, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. They want to talk to you. And he says, I ain't going outside. You know who my mom is? You know who my real mother and brothers are? These people right here. Those who listen to my teachings and obey, these are my mother my sisters, and my brothers. Your spiritual family, the ones who see things from a kingdom perspective. Sometimes our blood family don't get that. But eventually, the good news, of course, is that James, the brother of Jesus, converted and became a Christian after the resurrection. He goes, wow, my brother Jesus really was Messiah. <laughs> Amazing. And he took that to his death, to his martyrdom. He, he swore to, to an oath that, he, that Jesus truly was Messiah, the Son of God. This brings me to chapter 13 and pro tip number three. So what are we doing? Number one, we're going to pray persistently. Number two, we're going to serve God faithfully. And number three, we're going to walk in holiness. We're going to walk in holiness. Now that's, 
again, not a popular teaching, but it's a vital teaching. In fact, it's not common for churches to talk about being holy because you're like, oh, you sound so judgy when you say you got to be holy. Well, we're not the judge. God's the judge. And he's the one who's given us the standard of holiness. He calls us into a place where we need to repent of our sins. What does it mean to repent? It means to say, I'm sorry. It means to say, I was wrong. It means to stop doing the bad things I've been doing and start doing the good things I know to do. Here's what he says. Jesus calls the people to repentance in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And Jesus says, do you think those Galileans were the worst sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in, when that tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Jesus is saying there's worse things than natural disasters. There's, a, there's an eternity to be spent w- without God. That you need to turn from your sins and live. And then he tells a parable about the barren fig tree. And, and uh, he's healing on the Sabbath. And of course that's upsetting many of the Pharisees. We've covered that in the other two Gospels already. I'm not going to spend time on that. He, d- he tells a parable of the mustard seed. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in in his garden and it grows and becomes a tree. And the birds make a nest in its branches. This tiniest of seeds becomes one of the biggest garden plants that birds make nests in. So that's what the kingdom is. Just a little bit of faith can grow into this amazing thing. And he tells about the same truth about yeast. He says, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast that a woman is putting in making bread. And even though she only put in a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeates through the entire dough. You ever seen that? You ever, you ever watch time-lapse photography of dough rising? You put it in a little pan, it's just tiny. And over an hour and a half, two hours after it's gotten in the yeast and it's just sitting in a warm environment, suddenly it just grows like this. Boom. And it fills the whole pan and you can put it in the oven and bake it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like just a little bit of truth, a little bit of yeast comes inside and man, we become bigger people. We become something that people could feed on. We become useful for God's purpose. And then we come to this teaching of the narrow door. The narrow door. I'm going to spend a little time on this. Verse 22 of Luke Luke 13. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord... Will only a few be saved? And he replied, Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, But we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you and where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. And the people will come from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. 
and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Jesus said, it's very important that you heed my teachings. It's very important that you understand what I'm trying to do and that I am sent from heaven, sent from God above. My father is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to reject me, Jesus says, is to reject him. So it's very important that we don't just poo-poo Jesus and say, oh, I don't know about that one, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. No, no. What you do with Jesus is of vital importance. And then Jesus grieves over Jerusalem. As he gets there, he begins to pray over the city. Verse 34, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that brings me to tip number four. So we're walking, right? Let's review real fast. We need to keep praying consistently or knocking persistently, serve God faithfully, walk in holiness. And number four, we need to walk in humility. Walk in humility. We don't come in a righteousness of our own. We come in a righteousness that's been given to us by God. In, verse, in uh, chapter 14, Verse uh, 4, he says, he, he heals on the Sabbath again, and uh, they refused, he, he, he says, is it permitted to, to, in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And when they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they couldn't answer. Again, this is why we have to be so careful about Christian legalism. There are lots of Christians today that want to go back to the Old Testament law. They almost want to create a new Judaism. You know, you're not going to save yourself by obeying the Old Testament. You're going to save yourself by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Your good deeds are not going to be good enough to get you there. And so... Jesus proves that he's the Lord over the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is good. It's good to rest and have one day a week that you set apart as holy. But it's not what is going to save you. And Jesus teaches about humility. He says, verse 8, When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honor. What if someone is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, Give this person your seat. And then you'll be embarrassed. You'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. When your host sees you, he'll come and say, Friend, I have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in the front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turned to his host. He says, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers and relatives and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And Jesus tells the parable of a great wedding feast. The king throws this party and all the greatest people in the world were invited, but none of them came. So he says in verse 23, the master says, go into the country in the lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those first invited 
will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Jesus says, the king's throwing a party. And he wants the greatest people to come. But the people who think they're so great don't think they need God. But the people who know they need God, people who are poor, people who are broken, people who know they're in trouble, they have a desperation to say, oh God, I need you. Forgive me. Help me. I can't do it. Those are the ones I want at the party. (laughs) Come, sit at the table. I have a place for you. And uh, that holy desperation is so important. It's really, I think, one of the prerequisites prerequisites of being a disciple. I mean, Jesus says there is a cost to following God. Verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone, everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus says that the mark of a person who's truly spiritual, who's truly mature, someone who's really in the kingdom, is someone who doesn't think about themselves at all. They think about, how can I glorify God? God, how can you use me? Who can I help today? Where are you leading me? And it's not that a, a person that, that is in God thinks less of themselves. They don't even think of themselves at all. <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm just thinking about God. I just think about these other people. And, whoa, and I don't even think about how I'm being perceived or what people think about me. <laughs> it's like, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't live for me anyways. And what ends up happening is that kind of person becomes very impressive. That kind of person becomes very strong. That kind of, that kind of person becomes a person that other people want to be around <laughs> and want to follow because they sense that they, you, you seem like you're from another place. Seems like you're of another kingdom. Seems like you've been raised in a culture that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's heaven's culture. <laughs> it's heaven's kingdom. And that's part of humility. Jesus was the very son of God. And yet he said, I don't consider equality to God as something I'm going to aspire to. I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. And I didn't even, he didn't think about himself at all. And that's what he calls us. He said, if you're going to be my follower, pick up your cross, follow me. Do as I have done. Just as I've done for you, do for others. And that's, it's a challenge to walk in humility. But I think it's a pro tip. If you can begin to think about how can I be a, a humble, not a humiliated, but how can I not even think of myself at all? God can really, really use you. And this brings me to, to the fifth chapter, and I'll finish with this chapter. Tip number five. Number five. I'll review one more time. Right? So keep knocking persistently in prayer. Serve God faithfully. Walk in holiness. Walk in humility. And tip number five, find yourself in Christ. Find yourself in Christ. You know, Colorado was known as a place that people would go to find themselves. In fact, John Denver, I think it was said it in our state song, uh, when he first came to the mountains, right, his life was far away, he was hanging by a prayer, right, and the string's already broken, he was, he was trying to find himself, right. And, and the truth is, if you keep on trying to find meaning in yourself, you're never going to find it. Because you if, you, if you could find the answer in yourself, you would have found it already. The answer is found in God, to be found in Christ. That will give your life purpose. That will give your life meaning. That will give your life a direction by the, God's Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus begins to talk about the finding lost things. That there are people who are desperate to find things that are lost. He tells a parable of the lost sheep. In verse uh, 7 of Luke 15, he says, In the same way there is more joy in heaven, just like the shepherd finds a lost sheep. He says, In the same way there is more joy in heaven when one lost sinner who repents returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. And he tells a parable of a lost coin. And of course, in Middle Eastern culture, this was a big deal because a woman would keep a veil of coins as her dowry on her face. So she could, if she was a woman with lots of coins, the guy would go, oh, I should marry that lady. She's, she's got it going on. She's wealthy. She's got, she knows a few things. Yeah, wow. Nice lady. But if you lost one of your coins from your veil, it's like, oh no, I lost, I gotta find that coin. They're desperate to get the coins, right? He says, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't you light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. God's like, Oh, my treasured son, my treasured daughter, you finally come home. And then he tells one of the most, my very favorite parable in the entire Bible, the parable of the lost son, the, the prodigal son. And many of you know it. A rich landowner has two sons, and the younger son says, I want my half of the money now, Dad. Kind of wish you were dead so I could have your money. Like, what an insulting thing to say. But he goes, okay, son, I'll liquidate my assets and give you half. I love you. If that's what you want, I'll give it. I'll give it to you. And so he does. He gives his son half of his estate, and he goes off to a foreign country and squanders it on wild living. And then he realizes he made a mistake. As the country comes into a place of drought, and he says, "It's better at my dad's house. Even if I just went back to be a hireling, just to be an hourly worker, I could just live at the ranch, you know, in the servants' quarters, and you know." I know my dad treats his employees better than this pig farmer treats me. So he starts preparing this speech. I'm going to tell my dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired hands. And his father sees him from a long way off. He picks up his robe and he runs to his son and he throws his arms around his neck. In verse 22, and the father says to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe of the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the, the, the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Jesus says there's something so precious to God when something that was lost becomes found. And maybe God's been hounding you. Maybe he's been chasing you down by his spirit and he's saying, daughter, son, come home. You've been wandering for, for long enough. It's time to come home now. And then there was an older brother who was angry. He says, dad, why would you treat your son? He doesn't even call him my brother. He goes, this son of yours. Why would you throw him a party? I've been with you the entire time. You never even let me have a goat to, to, sla to slaughter and have a barbecue with my friends. And the father says to him, says, look, dear son. This is verse 31 of Luke 15. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, 
now he's found. This was really a story that Jesus was telling about Gentiles being adopted into God's family and the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders going, that's not fair. We've known you and stayed faithful to you forever. How can you let these Gentiles come in? He says, my son, I love, I love your brother just as much as I love you. We had to celebrate. We had to because they were lost and now they're found. You see, God created all of us to be with him. We're all made in the image of God. And yet, we're not children of God until we allow him to adopt him into his family. Until we say, okay, God, I'm going to come into your house and serve, serve you under your rules. I'm going, to, I'm going to be your son and you're going to be my father. Yeah, our sins separate us from God. It keeps us in that far off country when we're not submitted to him. And sins can't be paid for by, by beating yourself up or you know, writing a big check or doing some religious ceremony or obligation. That's not how sins get paid for. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he appropriated his precious blood for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. So that everyone, anyone who put their trust in Christ can have eternal life. And it starts the moment you say, yes, Jesus. I, I want to come in. I want to be in the family. I want to be in your house. Father in heaven, adopt me into your family. If you want to do that today, would you pray this prayer? Just pray it right with me, right along after me. Just say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for your, my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. Be my savior. Be my savior. Be my lord. Be my lord. I want to be adopted. I want to be adopted into your house. Into your house. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful a beautiful uh, rendition of the story of lost things being found is an allegory of the spiritual truth of the Christian life. And I preach it every Sunday, <laughs> but sometimes it really gets me, got me today. I always get, I always get touched by that, that parable. So I hope you're blessed today. I'm so glad you came. Snow days are tough, but it's a good, good thing that we had church online today. Glad you joined me today. Share this with a friend, won't you? And say, hey, this, this was a message that just shares the gospel in such a simple way. And I hope that it's a blessing to many of you. Uh, I, 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 a few things that I want to tell you about. We will have church. I'm sure the snow will have melted off by next Sunday. We'll have church in our in-person um, in-person service next week at the building in Sedalia. We do have a, several invite cards, so make sure and invite people to come. We want to see Easter Sunday. We want to see that room packed on a Sunday morning, of course, with you know reasonableness with social distancing and mask wearing if if need be but you know we want to see that we want to see people come and we want to grow the church also you could you could help the church with our google uh page by doing a google review if you, if you could give us a five-star review on google and search for summit church in sedalia that would that would help us with people finding our location as well so uh thank you for joining me today now may the lord bless you and keep you may he make his face to shine upon you be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Check out this final video if you want to know more about the ministry. Take care.
Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.